Mum's playing the dragons. It's not really a video game. She's playing the dragons. Yeah. Oh, what else? Okay. You and your mum, do you think you have a genetic predisposition to an addiction to Merge Dragons? Yes, I do think that. And <laughs> I realised the other day that Merge Dragons, <laughs> I always thought I could never get addicted to anything because I've tried lots of different kinds of hey, drugs. Hey, wait, just stop for a second, Sam. Yeah. You, um, you just became um, like... A robot? Yeah, no, but better than that, you became like an auto-tuned um, like organ, like... <laughs> Like, you sounded like a key tar. It was awesome. Anyway, sorry. Just tell me that again um, about Merge Dragons. I, just, I was just saying um, I always thought I could never get addicted to anything because I've tried so many different kinds of drugs and I've smoked darts and I've, like, binge drinked for, like, days on end and whatever and then I can just the next day be like, okay, I'm not doing that anymore and then not do that for, you know, months or whatever. And so I've never been chemically addicted to anything, but I'm definitely, definitely addicted to Merge Dragons. It's really bad. It's like a dopamine addiction. Yeah, totally. I think yeah, I'm also addicted like to, to watching television. To watching what? To watch television. Yeah, to watching TV shows. Oh, yeah, that's possibly true. Yeah. No. Um, I don't know if that counts as an addiction, though. I don't know if it works the same. Yeah, I'm. I I would be happy for it not to be an addiction. I feel like if you went on a camping trip, you would actually be like, "Oh my god, I'm really jonesing for some merged dragons." Even if you didn't know what was wrong with you, but I don't know if you would have the same thing about TV. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure though. Who knows? Well, actually, I don't think that I would be jonesing for Merge Dragons on a camping trip. Camping is something where I kind of disconnect from all that stuff. I think it's oh, yeah, um, bliss out. staring at a campfire just really makes you not really need anything else. Oh my God. So good. <laughs> so good for you. I told you about how there's all this research in Queensland when I was there. It was one of the researchers that they wanted me to try when I was really depressed. Mm. Because there's this symptom in depression where you don't, you're not motivated to talk. Mm -hmm. You're not like motivated to express yourself or like tell people what you need or whatever. So you become kind of like post-verbal. And I was like almost like that. Uh And one of the things that is supposed to work is like um, flashing bright lights in a like random series in your eyes Uh for like 15 minutes. Yeah. And the theory is that it simulates a campfire. And because a campfire is like pro-social evolutionarily, it encourages you to like begin speaking again and communicating with people again. Interesting. So you've just gone to like these extreme lengths to just make a very simple (laughs) pre-industrial lives for people. Yeah. Well, actually, I've um, never heard that before, but I did watch an entire documentary called Flickr. Uh, I think it's just spelled the way you normally spell flicker, but it's about the dream machine, I think it's called, but it's just two tubes um, with holes cut out of them and one slots inside the other one and one spins in one direction and one spins in the other direction. There's a light in the middle. So when you stare at it with your eyes closed, it does like flickering, random flickering lights on your eyeballs. And they said something about... It was they were doing it because it was supposed to be like a natural high, like LSD, blah blah blah, something something. Mm-hmm. But um, there there has been like scientific studies that show that it stimulates alpha brain waves, which I don't know what that means, but that's a thing that happens apparently. Anyway, I think it's good for you. It's supposed to be good for you. And anyway, oh, that's anecdotally that's quite interesting. I find 
staring at a campfire the most relaxing thing that I can possibly do. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I can remember reading about Burroughs and some of his cronies, I think. Um, I'm going to Google it really quick. Hold on, stand by. Is, it, is his name Gleison? No. The I other guy? I want to say... I want to say Allen Ginsberg. Is that a person? Yeah, he is a guy. Yeah, get Ginsberg. He wrote How. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves <laughs> through the meager fits at Donald for an angry fix. And then there's like, um, <laughs> and then Burroughs. Yeah, he wrote Naked Lunch. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Which I, is I all thought about I having was... sex with the back of a bug. And he <laughs> shot his wife. Yeah, I know. I tried to read Naked Lunch. Have you ever read it? Yeah. Oh, I couldn't get yep. through it. Um, and also there's a weird film that I watched. I think it was a Cronenberg film about having... I just Googled it. It says, The Dream Machine, a portmanteau of dream machine. Thanks a lot, Wikipedia. <laughs> is a scroboscopic flicker device that produces visual stimuli invented by Breon Geisen and William S. Burroughs systems advisor Ian Somerville. Oh. They created the dream machine after reading... William Gray Walter's book, The Living Brain. Okay, weird. All right, whatever. The point is there was this machine existed. <laughs> <laughs> yep, okay, cool, yeah. Lucas has misinterpreted this data, and so whenever he finds me, like, being quite sad in bed, he strobes the light on and off. <laughs> He'll be like, oh, got to give you some of that random light treatment. <laughs> but I think that would just... Because it's a good bit, that probably does lift your mood a little bit. Yeah, it makes me laugh, yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. It's really good. I've got my period. Do you want to hear the odd spots that came from the pad wrapping that I just put in? Sure. A greyhound's eyesight is the best of any breed of dog. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, the strength of all the hairs on one human head can support the weight of approximately 100 people. Wow. That's pretty interesting. interesting. I got one yesterday that said um, the most common time featured in ads is 10.10. Wow. That's, um, I wouldn't have uh, expected that. Seems like not a pretty, like it doesn't look nice. 10.10. Anyway, whatever. How would they, how have they gathered this data? I think it's a bit spurious. I'm really skeptical about that 10.10 one. Probably just made people watch ads for ages <laughs> i mean did you ever see the clock no the christian mark oh Clay. yeah yeah i did yeah yeah yeah. christian mark Clay, i think might be one of my favorite contemporary artists anyway he has this work which is just a 24-hour film that's all bits of other media cut together that shows the time and it's always the actual time that it is when you're watching it it's very interesting and the thing I always think is really weird about it is you can't help but make up a story feel like if two people cut together from obviously different films are both talking on the phone in your brain you just imagine that they're talking to each other you can't I think it's just a natural thing that a human brain does is like try and like make things fit together and find patterns and make stories make create narratives about stuff a abandoned pram next to a I don't know church that they would like think a story about that do you know what I mean like when you see things you create stories around it to help you understand what's going on I think it's just like a thing that human brains do you know 
Yeah, I don't think, though, that you should underestimate actually how good you are at reading film and also, like, what kind of economy filmmakers can use because audiences are so media literate. And I was talking to Paul about this because we were talking about spoilers and I was saying, well, I don't really care about spoilers or whatever. Um, And he said, well, one of the reasons for that might be is I'm one of those annoying people who's always like, I knew he was dead from the beginning. (laughs) Or who's like always picks what the twist is going to be. Was it you that I was, when I was watching Star Trek Discovery, I was sending you messages to be like, something's going on. There's like lots of mirrors. Is this a reflection? (laughs) Oh, I bet Lorca's the bad guy. And you were like, how are you? How can you? And like some of them were wrong, but a lot of them were right. That's true. And also a lot of them were, like some of them were very far out of left field and incorrect. But that when I'm watching it, I'm never watching it passively. So it's very hard to kind of like trick me or something. Right. And so, but when it does happen, and I was thinking of a few people who have done it, including Vonnegut, (laughs) right, who's the person who like says that it's a cheap trick Mm. and that I have had lots of moments where I've been like, oh my God, like wanted to tell people on the train something that had just happened in my book, even though (laughs) none of them would understand the significance. Have you ever read the book Mother Night? Yes, I love that book. Yeah. I don't want to, like, actually no spoilers because I don't want to wreck the revelation that kind of, like, took me in that book. Mm. But, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I love that Um, book. I thought something that we could do in the podcast is just recommend things that people should go and read and watch and stuff. Mother Night, everybody. Go out and read it. Do yourself a favour. It's so good. It's so good. It's dedicated to Matahari. Cool. I started watching um, an SBS TV series called Harlot, which is like a period drama. Mm-hmm. It's like um, set in London. It's about brothels. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Paul came home from like a bike ride and there was about like seven sex scenes in a row <laughs> and I had to turn it off because I got too embarrassed. <laughs> But anyway, I'm going to watch that. (laughs) I watched two seasons of The Purge, the TV show. Oh, yeah. Have you watched the movies as well? Yeah, I've seen all the movies. Love the movies. Ethan Hawke does a little cameo. Ethan Hawke is the main um, character, plays the main character in the first movie that they made. And he does a little cameo in like one of the final episodes of season two. It's really... It's really one for the fans. It's really cute. <laughs> As the same character? Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to watch it. It's very, I've not seen any of them. It's a very extremely, like, revenge fantasy. So I don't know if you're into that kind of thing. I don't know if no, I am. I find it really gratifying to watch, but it also really, like, I kind of makes me stressed out and, like, angry and, I don't know, aggro. You know, mm. don't know if it's a good thing. Is it? Would you classify it as a horror? Yes. Yep. Yeah, but you like horror films. Yeah, I do. Yeah. So it's like I'm not really that. I'm not really that into it. Yeah. You know, like even Lucas has to. <laughs> one of his roles in our marriage. It might have even been one of his. Oh, I don't think it was. But I think we considered it as one of his vows at our wedding was that he would watch every Black Mirror and then tell me which ones were safe for me to watch and which ones I wouldn't like because they were too scary. (laughs) 
Um, it's really cute. That's really cute. Because he's not tough, you know what I mean? But he would never be affected by something like that. Because it's just a story? Um, I d- Well, just generally, Lucas isn't as sensitive as me. Mm. <laughs> to anything, <laughs> I guess. He's just kind of more of an even Stephen person. Mm. The other thing that I like about watching the Purge stuff is that it's like has this – I can read my ideology, like I can see my ideology on on it, you know, like I can pretend that it's oh, like yeah. a lefty thing. And so, you know, when they're like killing rich people and politicians, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, great, good good show, you know. Mm. There's a lot of killing rich people. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you see the Joker movie? Yeah. Yeah, okay. This is another one that I've got to watch. The Joker movie is really good. Is it? Yeah, it's good, yeah. Okay, great. It's supposed to also be um, one of those ones where you can read your ideology onto it. Yeah, I think that's true. But I think it's pretty clear what the intent, intended message is as well. That it's time for a class war. Yeah. <laughs> or actually the class war has already been going on. Yeah, and we're we just, just haven't losing. been fronting up for very long. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, I'm running out of TV shows to watch. I'm losing motivation to make anything. I'm playing a lot of Merge Dragons. This is what isolation is for me, just being like pretty stir crazy. I've, um, like I think we've discussed before, I'm kind of just stopping interacting with anybody besides my parents, besides people who live in the same house as me. Well, I read this post that someone posted on Facebook, which I don't know, I think it might be bullshit. But it says that do you get tired from Zoom meetings? It's because you're constantly being reminded of the absence of that person Mm. rather than having them be present. But I think it's true that it does take like a different kind of energy maybe to talk on the phone or to talk on Zoom than to be in somebody's presence. I think actually it would make me feel better if I did interact with people more. On Zoom and yeah, stuff. Yeah, but I don't know why I'm doing this weird self-sabotage thing of, like, avoiding it and not wanting oh. to initiate it, you know? It's mostly fine. It's just an interesting, weird thing that's happening. Yeah, I also think, like, I am less resilient to failures in online communications than in life. Like, if I'm at a party and I'm going to chat to 20 people and one of them goes, like, quite badly, it's not going to stop me from going to talk to the next person. But it does happen... That if I have like a bad Skype, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm never Skyping again. It's so bad. (laughs) I'm so awkward and weird. Interesting. Mm. One of the plants that I have on my desk has got two new baby leaves and it's pretty nice. Lucas said all of his radishes were eaten by a bower bird and he was really torn because on the one hand, he really wants to grow radishes. (laughs) Why? It's a food that people only eat in video games. It makes no sense. Anyway, he's like, I was so torn because I want to grow radishes, but I also want our yard to be a hospitable place to bower birds. <laughs> it's like the what just he sacrificed up his own food to the birds. So like, he really cares if about anyone it. wonders if altruism might be real or not, like they just need to go and meet Lucas. What are the how you know he's like not feeding those birds because he's hoping they'll repay him in the future. <laughs> There's um, a bunch of currawongs that hung, hang out around my house and they make beautiful sounds in the morning and they um, 
eat cockroaches um, in the wood pile uh, all day and they're really cute and I love them so much. So they also eat other birds whole. Yeah. Small birds. I did hear did you know I heard about I only that. just found that, found that out recently. It's pretty fun. Nature is so metal. <laughs> I was saying to my mum, I was like, oh, look at the carawong. It's got such great personality. I love it. So pretty. So cute. And she was like, yeah, they're kind of a problem because they eat like the babies of other birds. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Why are you ruining this for me? Um, sorry. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah, still like them. They're still I still good. think they're awesome. Yeah. I think they're, yeah. All of those birds. I find them kind of impressive. Lucas really hates pelicans. Why? Well, he doesn't hate them, but he just, he's not interested in seeing them. He doesn't think they're, <laughs> he doesn't think they're like good. Like he loves all birds, but he's like not really that into pelicans because once I showed him a video of a pelican trying to eat a, <laughs> a, um, like a pigeon um, where it <laughs> just put the pigeon in its mouth but like still alive and then it didn't move and it didn't look phased and obviously the pigeon like flapped around and like kept moving for so long <laughs> like 10 minutes of the like neck just being like stretched and like contorted and whatever while the pelican just stood completely still and I was like how cool is that and Lucas was like that's so uncomfortable I hate it it's awful I'm on Lucas's side that sounds really bad no it was awesome I was so into it and have you seen the way pelicans like yawn where they stretch their beak over their own body, where they open their mouth up, they put the top of their mouth behind their head and then stretch the stretchy part by lowering it over their entire body and pushing their body through it. That's insane. Yeah, it's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way they can stretch it because they could hold themselves in their own mouth. (laughs) What other animal could do that? Maybe a snake, I guess. Hmm, maybe some kinds of frogs. Oh, yeah, that's true. Hey, did you hear it? You know how one of the theories for where COVID came from is the wet market thing, that it was uh-huh. from an open-air meat market, something about jumping from animals to people. Yep. I was reading something the other day and they were like, well, it could be that, but it could also be the virology lab that's in um, Wuhan. Mm. I was like, of course the virology lab what are you talking about it seems crazy to me that people are having a debate about this oh I don't I feel like people who think it was created and released by scientists don't realize that all of the other pandemics that we've had have been have either been mutations of diseases that already existed or have jumped I don't think it was released on purpose or anything I just think that there's a virology lab in that town like it's a huge coincidence and also like it's we know now how contagious it is and that it can survive on surfaces for like three days or whatever I just Mm. think it's like very possible I don't know it just seems like a real big coincidence that yeah no there's heaps of virology labs and also when you say that town I mean don't like 20 million people live in Wuhan yeah okay (laughs) it's not a town it's a huge city yeah (laughs) Just just a casual population of Australia lives in that one town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't find the... You don't think the I virology think, thing is a real thing? Well, I just don't think... No, no, no. It's possibly real. But I just don't think that... I don't find it more likely than 
Because the fact that there are wet markets everywhere, that seems more evidence to me that they would be more likely. Like, then the chances of it coming from them increases. Like, the I more so. people are eating pangolins. Oh, pangolins. They're so cute and weird looking. And they don't look mm. like they would taste good. It's very strange. <laughs> they don't. That's true. They don't look like they would taste good. But what animal looks like it would taste good? I don't know. I guess that's just what you're you know you're conditioned to think that certain things will taste good but pangolins look bizarre they're so freaky Actually, maybe sheeps do look like they would taste good <laughs> because they're like soft and fluffy or yeah, yeah. they do kind of look a bit delicious I think. <laughs> they're pretty cute i love sheep <clears throat> yeah i sheep are okay i prefer goats what about a cat do you think a cat looks like it would taste good I mean, the reason I think that a kitten I kitten kind of does. It looks cute as. It looks delicious. So cute, you want to eat it. Yeah, and a little duckling. Actually, maybe just I think cute things look like they would taste good. <laughs> I, the reason that I think a pangolin looks like it wouldn't taste good is because it's, looks like it looks it's, like a pile of rocks. It looks like a pile of rocks, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> it does look like a pile of rocks. <laughs> also, I ate crocodile once. Yeah. Um, like at an indigenous film opening, mm-hmm. um, these guys had strapped it to the top of to their roof racks and dr- driven with it from Queensland to Victoria. That's wild. This is full on. Anyway, uh, and it didn't taste that good. It kind of was like very crumbly. Mm. I've had alligator. That tastes didn't have any fine. consistency. Yeah, maybe I guess if I just ate like um we're we talking about lake or something eating animals that look like piles of rocks yeah <laughs> <laughs> or like a sort of reptilian or something <laughs> you don't think that a pangolin and a crocodile or alligator have a certain similar like textural <laughs> quality, <laughs> quality. No, I, I would agree i would agree with that Hey, write in if you think that we're wrong in our assessment of crocodiles. All right, well, I'll talk to you soon. Have a good day. I should not be seeing you, nor should you be seeing me. We know. That it can never be You and I together I should not want to be around you Nor should you want to be around me It's all because of that feeling feeling the first time we met If you knew knew how blue how lonely I have come to be You would do do your utmost to destroy that feeling that feeling for me I should not be